morning, everybody. Uh, earlier this week, I was talking about today's message with uh, Pastor Dale Piscura. Uh, many of you know that Dale had brain surgery this past fall and had to take some time off. And I'm glad to announce that he is back in the office now. He is back and better than ever. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, maybe you didn't know that Dale, uh, before he was pastor here, he taught and coached at Solon High School for years and years. His school administrators were predictably very reluctant to allow any expressions of faith. Uh, Dale was teaching social studies, coaching football and baseball, and leading a ministry called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA for short. This was about the time that the Supreme Court ruled that everybody could have equal access to school facilities. Well, Dale was very vocal about his faith in Christ, not only today, but back then. He wore a Jesus First pin on his baseball hat. He was willing to have conversations with students and athletes about his faith in Christ. He posted notices in the school about the upcoming FCA meetings. He submitted announcements to be read over the intercom about the FCA ministry. And that's when the phone started ringing in the principal's office. Principal fielded calls from parents complaining the baseball coach is trying to convert our kids. And the principal, uh, understandably, wanted to protect himself. So he would call Dale into the office, and even though he liked and respected Dale, he'd say, Hey, Dale, you can't be announcing these FCA meetings or putting up posters. I've told you before, you can't announce it. I'm going to have to put a letter of warning in your file. And Dale would say, Go ahead and put it in my file. I'm not going to stop announcing it because I believe it's within my rights according to the Supreme Court ruling. Now, he was civil and he was honoring to his principle, but he dared to defy the people in power because he wanted to honor Christ above all. Dad wanted to go to heaven and he wanted to take some of those students and athletes with him. He was a missionary, cleverly disguised as a teacher and a coach, and he counted it an honor to have a letter like that in his file, was it worth it? You know, it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And you say, where do you get this idea, it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ? Well, I get it from Acts chapter 5. It's a story about a spiritual leader, Peter, and the other leaders of the early church, they were arrested by the Jewish religious authorities and they were put in jail. Why? Because they defied the people in power and they kept on pointing people to Christ. And that night after they were in jail, an angel of the Lord intervened and released them. And instead of saying, go hide, said, go right back to the temple and start telling everybody about Jesus. But again, the Jewish council and the high priest took them back into custody and accused them of filling Jerusalem with your teaching. They said, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name of Jesus. And then Peter, empowered by the Spirit, did some bold speaking, and he said, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Now this council was enraged and they were ready to kill them until a man named Gamaliel stood up 
He was a teacher of the law, and he said, if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be even found to be fighting against God. So instead of killing the disciples like they had killed Jesus, they just flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then release them. Now, of course, flogging is beating them on the back with whips so that the skin breaks and the blood flows. And so then comes what I think is one of the most stunning verses in the Bible. Acts 5.41, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. So just read that slowly and let it sink in. After being flogged, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now ask yourself a question. When have I suffered dishonor for the name of Jesus? We've got to understand what suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus actually means, or this whole idea of persecution. First of all, I want us to talk about what it isn't. In other words, what's not in the circle? Well, the trials of life. That's not suffering dishonor for the name of Christ. You know, if a feeling falls out, or if you get a flat tire, that's not persecution. Suffering for self-righteousness sake is not suffering dishonor for Christ. Suffering for self-righteousness sake is like you're copping an attitude and you're bringing it onto yourself. Self-inflicted wounds. Uh, that's not suffering for righteousness sake, for the, uh, suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus. Poor job performance and getting fired or turning in a bad paper and getting a D, it's not persecution, it's self-inflicted wound. Partisan political conflict is not suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus. Showing up at a Bernie rally or showing up at a Trump rally and getting in a fight or a shouting match is not persecution. See, being empowered by the Spirit means that you're filled with the Spirit, and if you're filled with the Spirit, then you bear the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, and that's love and joy and peace and so on. And if we speak up and we speak out, and love and joy and peace are not flowing, then you know what? You might be empowered, but you're not empowered by the Spirit. So we need to understand what suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus isn't, and we need to understand what it is. This phrase, suffering disgrace, is really one word in the Greek language. It's atimazo, and it means to be disgraced, to be insulted, treated shamefully, and despised. And when we talk about suffering dishonor for Christ, it is right for us to think about persecution. More people were killed as followers of Christ in the 20th century than all 19 of the previous centuries combined. And things have only escalated in the 21st century. When you think about persecution, you not only need to think about, uh, uh, you need to think in two things. You need to think about types and de degrees. Types of persecution. There's physical persecution. There's emotional and spiritual and financial and relational and social persecution. We may not suffer physical persecution here, but we can certainly suffer social persecution. Then the degrees of persecution. Uh, there's martyrdom. People are losing their life in the world today. There's imprisonment. People are in jails today because of following Christ. 
Then there are fines and restrictions and shunning and rejection and scorn and slander and mockery and ridicule. So we may not lose our lives or be in prison, but we can certainly suffer scorn and slander and mockery and ridicule. And let me just give you a few facts about persecution. Persecution is an anticipated and necessary thing in God's plan. That's Mark chapter 8. It's essential for the church to be established. That's Matthew 16. Because when persecution is rightly endured, it shows the supreme value and the worth of Jesus. Persecution results in our good and our growth, Romans 5. God will ultimately avenge the persecuted, 2 Thessalonians 1. And the persecuted will receive a reward, that's 2 Thessalonians 1. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then persecution of some type and persecution of some degree must be a part of your experience Jesus said this in John 15, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So it's coming if you're a genuine follower of Christ. But remember, it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ. Really? Because it just doesn't feel that way. How can I tap into that grace? I want to give you four ideas from Acts chapter 5. First, obey God fearlessly. Obey God fearlessly. When the followers of Jesus were told to stop talking about Jesus, they defied the people in power. And here's what it says in Acts 5.29, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Now, the general posture of believers to people in power, whether it's in education or people in power in business or people in power in your family or people in power in government, is submission. Submission to authority. That's our general posture. But there are times that it is just and right to disobey. And you can see this clearly in stories throughout the Bible. you got the Hebrew midwives who were told to kill all the little baby boys in Egypt. And they defied the Egyptian law. you got Moses himself who stood up to the man in power, to Pharaoh. you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who dared to oppose Nebuchadnezzar. you got Daniel who opposed Darius, and he ended up thrown into a lion's den. you got the wise men who really opposed Herod. They didn't come back to give him the news. And Jesus, of course, overturns the tables in the temple, and he defies the people in, politi- uh, in religious power. See, when God's laws and man's laws contradict, we go with God, and we watch God work. You know, 50 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. was thrown in jail for daring to stand up and speak out against injustice in Birmingham, Alabama. And in that jail, he wrote a letter that references Acts chapter 5, and it still inspires today. Let me just read a section of that letter. He writes, In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. 
So often the contemporary church is a weak and effectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it's an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and then often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. And if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. Now, if those words were relevant in the 1960s, how much more relevant are they today? See, in the name of Christ, we must at times defy the powers. When we see injustice, we must challenge the status quo. We must speak up for the refugee. We must speak up for the unborn. We must speak up for the poor. We must speak up for biblical marriage. We must speak up for those who are trapped in human trafficking. We must speak up for justice, equality, and dignity for red and yellow and black and white. Because Jesus loves the little children of the world. And we are all the little children of the world. And if Jesus loves the little children of the world, then so should we. And we must love them enough to not only bring about justice and equity for all, but to tell them there is a hell to shun, there is a heaven to gain, and that only Jesus saves. Acts 5, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And if that puts us in opposition to the people in power, whether it's in your neighborhood or at work or in your own family or with the government or at school, then so be it. Obey God fearlessly. Second, convey truth clearly. Sometimes we don't speak up because we think we don't know enough. But these early church leaders didn't have degrees after their names. They weren't scholars. They were fishermen and tax collectors, but they were vocal. Look at what they say. Acts 5.30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now how, Peter, can you speak with such authority? Don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know that these are the guys who manipulate the Romans to kill Jesus and they can manipulate the Romans to kill you? Who are you to speak like this? I'm nobody, but I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit who's been given to me. And I love the fact this is just straight talk. I mean, Peter didn't feel like he had to be clever. Peter didn't try to water things down. Peter didn't try to make the truth palatable. He didn't package it. He just said it. He wasn't apologetic about it. He's not trying to be politically correct. He's not trying to be socially correct. He's not trying to be religiously correct. He's just trying to be correct. And so he shared truth. And if you look at the passage, there's so much truth here. It's truth about God. He, he shares truth about Jewish history. He shares truth about the resurrection of Jesus, about the crucifixion, 
about the exaltation of Christ. He shares truth about the lordship of Jesus, about Jesus as Savior. He shares truth about repentance, about forgiveness, about sins. He shares truth about his responsibility to be a witness, about the gift of the Holy Spirit, and about the importance of obedience. And I don't think this is some kind of a well-thought-out, prepackaged plan display of truth. I mean, this is not fancy. It's just a flow of truth that's empowered by the Spirit. And this is actually the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus once made to his followers, that once you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, he will give you the words that you need to say when you need to say them. Matthew chapter 10, Do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit who speaks in you. This is what happens when you're empowered. So Peter stands up to the people in power who had unjustly accused Jesus and manipulated the Romans to crucify him, knowing that they might unjustly accuse him and manipulate the Romans to crucify him. And he speaks freely and boldly and powerfully about Christ. Now, you are going to find yourself probably this week in some kind of a conversation in your neighborhood, at work, at a bank, in a gym, at a ball field, at school, and your heart is going to start beating just a little bit fast because you know that the Holy Spirit is giving you an opportunity to say something. You know if you say something about Jesus, you could be misunderstood. You could be ridiculed, you could be mocked, you could be dismissed, you could be unfriended, maybe even fired. And that's precisely the moment that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to stand up and speak out. Not in a self-righteous way, not to make a political point, not to turn somebody that's on the left to the right or somebody that's on the right to the left, but to point people to Jesus who is the only one who can bring new life to a person and the only one who can bring new life to a culture. And when you do that, you will experience a grace that can only come from being disgraced for Christ. That is your invitation to join with Jesus and to join with Peter and to join with the apostles and countless other followers of Christ around the world who have gone before you and received the gift of suffering dishonor for believing in and standing for and speaking out the truth. Will you do it? You probably had an opportunity this past week and you didn't do it. And you missed the grace of being disgraced for Christ. Romans 1, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. The Republicans are not going to save America. The Democrats are not going to save America. Only Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And we should never be ashamed to speak up and speak out for Christ. Obey God fearlessly. Convey truth clearly. Suffer shame joyously. After being flogged and warned not to talk about Jesus anymore, 
Here's what happens. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were dishonored. They were made a spectacle by the respected leaders of their people. And they were treated like criminals. They were stripped to the waist at least and were flogged. Don't overlook that. One Bible scholar said they were hurt so badly they probably screamed out and wept with deep sobs of unimaginable pain. Stripped and flogged. That's a shame-filled experience. The Bible calls it dishonor. They felt it deeply. It was wrong. So now what are they going to do? They're going to swear at their enemies? They're going to seethe at the loss of their rights? Are they going to sue? What did they do? Well, look at it. They rejoiced over this shame. Are you kidding? Think about it. This is not some kind of a romantic, noble, heroic moment with a soaring movie score playing in the background. They've been flogged. The pain is excruciating. It's humiliating, yet they rejoice. They turn their shame into a song. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, they knew something that many of us, most of us, have missed in our pursuit of a culturally acceptable, comfortably passive version of American Christianity. It's a grace to be disgraced for Christ. Are, are, are you there yet? Am I there yet? No. You know, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have a lot to teach us. Many of the around the world are suffering dishonor in the name of Christ. And I want you to listen carefully to this story about our sister named Helen, our sister in Christ in Eritrea. It was so cold during the night, he would suffer hypothermia. So hot during the day that his skin would burn to the edge of the container. Helen spent two and a half years locked inside a metal shipping container for refusing to recant her faith. And not only that, she taught me one of the most profound spiritual lessons of my life. She taught me about thankfulness. If you were to wake up tomorrow with only the things you thank God for today, what would you have? In Helen's case, every day for two and a half years, she woke up on the floor of a jagged metal shipping container inside a prison where she was beaten and tortured regularly. But one of the most incredible stories for me is her response to a beating that very nearly took her life. You see, Helen had been writing notes of encouragement and sending them to fellow prisoners, putting scriptures on them that she could memorize. And the guards came to her and they said, Helen, where is your Bible? And she said, I don't have one. And they said, is it in your head? And she said, yeah, it's in my head. And they said, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you. They proceeded to grab Helen and, and they dragged her to a courtyard, placed her in the middle and started to beat her with wooden battens. What she does next has single-handedly changed my Christian walk forever. You see, in the middle of this beating, Helen stops and looks at the guy hitting her and says to him, I do not hate you, for you were just carrying out an order. 
but you need to know that I'm carrying out an order too. And that's not to renounce Jesus. So carry on. Carry on? I mean, when they were finished beating her, they simply threw her body back into the metal shipping container. And as she lay on the floor in the container, she began to sing the following. Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you for the hot days. Thank you for the hunger, for the sickness. Thank you for the bugs that bite my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. to learn there's a kind of shame that we should not be ashamed of it feels like shame at first but then a miracle happens we begin to live new and our values are turned upside down I don't hate you you're just carrying out orders but I am carrying out orders too and so thank you Lord for the cold Thank you for the bugs. Thank you for the beatings. Obey God fearlessly. Convey truth clearly. Suffer shame joyously. Share Christ ceaselessly. Look at how this chapter ends. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And the Bible says that these Followers of Christ turn the world upside down. How are we doing turning our world, our culture, upside down? Let's admit it, for the vast majority of Americans, the church today is either a laughing stock or an irrelevant relic. And could it be that we're so impotent because we are so fearful of being shamed? We're not sharing Christ ceaselessly every day from house to house. I want to urge us to continue to make the commitment that Pastor Chad asked us to make several weeks ago. One, read your Bible and pray every day. Two, bless two people every day or every week, one inside and one outside the church. And three, eat with two people every week, one inside and one outside the church because we want to share Christ with folks who need Him. Obey God fearlessly, convey truth clearly, suffer shame joyously, share Christ ceaselessly. Which of these four is your strongest? Don't just be a passive observer of what happens today. If you had to say, well, I may not be real strong in any of those, but this one's probably my strongest. Which, which would be your strongest? And the next question is, in which one do you need to grow the most? Ask God for help. What's one significant step you could take to grow in that area? Who can help you with it? Would you let your spouse help you with that? A friend? Remember, it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ. 
So, so what grace do I get if I'm disgraced? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, blessed are you. You get a blessing. When others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, he says rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You get a greater reward in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Peter, the one who was persecuted here in Acts chapter 5 writes this, but, I, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You get a bigger, fresher outpouring of God's spirit when you suffer like this. I got to tell you, I'm not there yet. Not nearly. I want too much to be comfortable. I want to be liked. I want to be respected too much. One of my heroes is a pastor in Minnesota. His name's John Piper. He says he's not there yet either. Let me read his quote. I'm still learning, sometimes I think, just beginning to learn how to embrace this shame. I mean really embrace, not just tolerate the unpleasant feeling of being shamed. Until I learn this more fully, I will never be the kind of witness among unbelievers that God has called me to be. I was glad to read that because I go, well, I'm not alone struggling with this. And I hope you're glad to read that because you know what? You're not alone struggling with this too. Remember the story about Pastor Dale when he was a high school teacher and coach? principal said he's going to put a letter of warning in his file. I asked the question, was it worth it? You know, as we talked together this past week, Dale asked me if I'd seen the movie Woodlawn. It's a story of a 1970s high school football team in Alabama divided by racial tension and how they came together because they found a better way by following Christ. Well, after seeing that movie, one of Dale's former players a man who's now in his 40s and lives in Arizona, he called Dale. And he left a message and he said, Hey, coach, did you see that movie? Dale played that player's message on his phone for me to hear. The player said, You know, coach, that movie reminded me of you because the coach dared to talk about Christ. And then this former tough tight end's voice broke as tears came. I mean, he couldn't even speak because of his gratitude for a courageous coach welled up in his heart. And finally, he was able to finish his thank you. And it was a holy, moving moment for me to listen to that voice message with Dale. By the time we finished, tears were in my eyes and tears were in Dale's eyes too. Was it worth it to get a letter of warning in your file? Yes, Because God used Dale to bring that teenager, now in his 40s, to Christ. And he led his family to Christ, and they're active at a large church on the east side of Cleveland today. And you know what? He's not the only student who was led to Christ by Mr. Pascura, a missionary cleverly disguised as a social studies teacher and a baseball coach. I've heard stories like that from former Solon High School students who came to Christ through Dale's influence. Is it worth it to get letters of warning placed in your file? You ask Dale, and he will say, it's a grace to have been disgraced for Christ. And so that's the takeaway. It's very simple. You might want to write it down. <laughs> it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ. Are you there yet? Neither am I. Do you want to be? So do I. So what can we do? Three things actually tie in with Pastor Chad's message from Two weeks ago, one bold prayer. Let's pray for each other. Here's timid prayer. Lord, keep the shame away. That's timid prayer. Bold prayer, 
is, Father, empower Pastor Rick and empower me that we'll, we will actually feel joy when we are shamed for speaking up for Christ. Bold prayer. Second, bold thoughts. See, we've got to start thinking about how amazing and how beautiful and how glorious and how wonderful and how awesome and how worthy Jesus is. Think about his suffering that he endured for your salvation, the shame he bore, so you can be saved. Think about his reward, his resurrection and glorification. And think about how someday you're going to go to heaven to be with him. See, the more we see the beauty and the glory and the grace of Jesus, the more empowered we're going to be because we don't care what anybody else thinks. I just care about what he thinks. Bold prayer, bold thoughts, and bold words Take a step into uncharted territory to point people to Jesus. This week, when that nudge hits your mind, your heart, your heart starts to beat fast, just go ahead and say it. Say something about Christ. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say. He'll, he'll put something in your mouth to say. And Pastor Joe taught us, yes, it's an offensive gospel, it's an exclusive gospel, it's a forbidden gospel, but you know what? Some people will respond. And we know many won't. And we know that when we share, feelings of shame will come, but don't worry because Jesus will turn that shame into a song. Bold prayer, bold thoughts, bold words. Can you say it's a grace to be disgraced for Christ? See, that's what empowered people live like. That's how we prove we're different. I mean, here we are studying through the books of Acts, talking about being empowered. But if you won't speak up for Christ in your family, at your school, at the workplace, in your neighborhood, then I don't care how much time you spend studying the book of Acts, you're not empowered. And we've wasted our time. It is time for us to be more bold. You, you're working with people that are headed to hell, and you've never, ever taking them to lunch, giving them a piece of literature. You've never talked to them about Jesus Christ. You've been nice. You've built a bridge. You've got a relationship. You'll talk about the Browns. You'll talk about the weather. You'll talk about the politics. But you won't talk about Jesus? You're not empowered. Empowered people talk about Christ. The pursuit of comfort and honor and affluence and peace cannot matter nearly as much to us as the pursuit of and the proclamation about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're here today and you're saying, I don't know this Jesus that you've been talking about, but I want to know Him. I want to know His beauty, His grace, His forgiveness. Then there's a prayer in your program. It's on the screen. Dear God, obeying you has not been the, my life's highest priority. In fact, I've disobeyed you over and over. I'm a disobedient sinner, undeserving of your grace. I need Jesus. I believe he was killed and hung on a cross. I believe he's now alive and exalted. I make Jesus my leader and savior. Grant to me repentance and forgiveness of my sins. And Lord, help me live empowered by your Holy Spirit. If that's a prayer that expresses the desire of your heart today, then pray it. There's a card in front of you you can check and let us know so we can follow up with you. I want to lead you in prayer today as we close. So every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to pray just a little, but I'm going to lead you to pray some things right now. So start by praising Jesus. Say, Jesus, I praise you for not playing it safe so you could be saved. Just say that in your own words. Praise Jesus for not playing it safe so you could be saved.
And then seek His forgiveness for those times that you have played it safe. And remember, His forgiveness is full and free. And then I want you to ask the Lord a question and just listen to His answer. Ask Him to show you something risky or radical or revolutionary or sacrificial that He wants you to do. So you can point people to Jesus. And finally, ask the Lord to be empowered, to be bold, and to have a spirit of obedience. Lord, I pray that you would impress it on our hearts that we would be those people who would rejoice and count it an honor to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. Show us how to do this, Lord. Give us opportunities and then let us to walk in them empowered by your Spirit.